Hello, everyone, and welcome to the America in Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Support Service. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. Joining me today is Casey Harper, the Center Square's Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. Casey, this is our first America in Focus podcast of 2023. Happy New Year, and how are you? Happy New Year, Dan. I'm excited about a a good year of, I think we can already see that it's going to be a pretty fast-paced news cycle, so it's going to be something to follow. <laughs> That's right. You've uh, We start 2023, you're essentially on the House speakership beat. Um, lots of votes for House yeah. Speaker, but still no Speaker. Uh, tell us what's going on, and um, uh, we're, well, I should say we're recording this on Friday, January 6th. Um, there have been, what, 11 votes now for speaker with uh, no one getting the, the majority that's needed to win the uh, the office. Probably more votes today, maybe mm-hmm. more votes today. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're right. As of Friday morning, it's been 11 votes, 11 consecutive losses for McCarthy. Um, Hakeem Jeffries, the you know kind of chosen one replacement for Nancy Pelosi, who's who announced uh, last year she's stepping down. He's getting all the the Democratic votes, but of course, Republicans have a slim majority in Congress, 222 Republicans. So Democrats can't really get their speaker, but that does not mean it's a slam dunk for Republicans. Republican, um, whoever wins the speakership can only afford to lose four votes of Republicans. And right now, depending on which vote, there's about 20 Republicans who have voted against, really it's against McCarthy. Their votes have been scattered across several different candidates, including um, Andy Biggs, a lawmaker from Arizona, um, Byron Donalds, uh, another Republican, Jim Jordan got some votes as well for some of these. Uh, Even Donald Trump got a vote and you may, you know, someone may laugh at that, but technically the Speaker of the House does not have to be um, a lawmaker. So anything can happen. I think right now uh, what we're seeing, and as you said, they're, they're gonna, they're supposed to Kick, kick back off at noon and have some more votes. They are, um, you know, negotiating behind the scenes constantly. Um, media reports indicate that Kevin McCarthy has made some concessions, but it, it still hasn't been enough. Um, even basically saying that they can just kick him out anytime. He's saying, Hey, you can break up with me later. Let's just go out now. Let's get this cross finish line. You can change your mind later and remove me. Um, but they've been pretty, pretty steadfast. Uh, the more conservative wing of the party sees him. As a, you know, he's a California Republican. He's in their mind, he's a little too, um, too moderate. I think they were, are really frustrated with how, uh, no matter, regardless of when Republicans win the majority or not, there's never any big changes. The big conservative, um, ideas don't really get votes. Uh, even when Republicans, you know, had the House and the Senate under Donald Trump, they didn't really pass any like radical conservative legislation. They passed tax reform, but, that's, I mean, that's actually pretty moderate. And uh, there's some, you know, liberal Democrats who don't like tax reform, but it's a general rule. That's kind of the the low bar for conservative policy. Some of the conservative ideas that these opposing lawmakers are talking about and want votes on that are being ignored persistently by Republican leadership are things like a balanced budget amendment, are things like, you know, getting rid of uh, income tax, right? And replacing it with, you know, larger federal sales tax and things like that. So, they want more big picture um, conservative changes. And, they, and I think they think Kevin McCarthy will be just more of the congressional status quo, which is, hasn't really served the conservative wing of the party 
very well in the last few decades. I think that's why we still have rise to Trump because um, although Trump wasn't the true conservative, uh, he he appealed to a lot of frustration within the Republican Party that whoever's in charge never seems to get anything done. Now, I think Trump had his own troubles getting things done. So, you know, he didn't really scratch that itch per se, but there's a lot of frustration within the Republican Party. You're seeing that manifest now. It's really up in the air. McCarthy could have wrangled the votes with some incredible concessions in the late hours uh, in the halls of Capitol Hill last night, or he could be in for another string of defeats. Um, at a certain point, he he's either going to get the votes or he's going to have to to give up. And I don't know. I mean, it's really a game of chicken uh, on who who is more determined to stick it out, who can um, undergo the media scrutiny longer um who who's the last to to balk or who last to flinch in this contest but we could have a resolution today it's just something we'll be following really closely at the center square.com and and, and as i understand it this is the most votes without successfully uh selecting uh, a speaker in more than a hundred years but with a divided government democrats uh control the Senate and President Joe Biden, a Democrat, of course, uh, is in charge of the executive branch. Um, does it really matter if it's a conservative or a moderate Republican who is Speaker of the House? Uh, yeah. Because anything that they pass that's conservative leaning is probably not going to get through the Senate. And even if it were to get through the Senate, it would be vetoed by President Biden. Is, am I, am I, yeah, I is mean, that simple, a simple thinking there or? That's true. I think it doesn't matter in the short term, but in the long term, it does matter because whoever wins this, you know, whoever becomes speaker now is very likely to be the next speaker. And once somebody gets cemented that speaker spot, we saw from Nancy Pelosi that, you know, she was there for decades. I mean, you could be, if once you kind of cement yourself as a speaker, it's really hard to get unseated. So I think you, if you're thinking long term, if Kevin McCarthy can secure this now, he could be, you know, speaker for the next 30 years um, if he does well. Now, Republicans are it is kind of a different Republican Party. You could say he could be unseated, but it's pretty hard to remove someone um, to get the kind of political momentum and political clout to do it. So I think they see that like this is their chance. If they don't stop him now, we could have, you know, 25, 30 years of California Republican moderate leadership, which uh, which just kind of uh, does these giant omnibus bills, never has real debates, never, you know, they want things like they want to debate with all the members present. Should we be sending this money to Ukraine versus just kind of signing off on whatever the Biden administration asked for without real debate and shoving it in a, you know, one or $2 trillion omnibus. They want to return to more regular order. There's just a lot of things that the speaker does control that, you know, even just what gets a vote. I think people, a lot of people don't realize that, that if the speaker doesn't want to vote on something like they can stop it from even getting voted on, let alone whether it's going to pass or not. I mean, there's ways to pressure the speaker and force their hand. But, you know, the speaker has so much power over what even legislation gets voted on, when it gets voted on, how it's voted on, whether it's debated, whether what kind of amendments are offered, how many amendments uh, do those amendments get an up and down vote? I mean, they have they have a ton of power. And so I think that when you think long term, it does matter for, for that reason. So I put you on the spot here. Um, of course, Uh-oh. as our our listeners are listening to this, the story, this this story um, uh, could be re- resolved by the end of the day or by the time uh, this podcast um, gets gets published. Um, but I mean, is McCarthy going to win this, or is someone else going to s- step in and they're going to have to p- pick somebody else? Yeah. Well, 
All right. You have put me on the spot here. I would say 70% chance McCarthy wins it. That's what the odds, if you're betting on it, I don't know if they have a betting website for this right now. I'd say 70% chance McCarthy wins it. 30% chance the house descends into absolute chaos. Um, the how, you know, Congressional Republicans have done it before. You know, they shut down the government. They've had their moments where they were not afraid to descend into chaos. I say, I say 70% McCarthy uh, wins it. All right. Well, we'll follow your reporting at the center square, um, dot com. But enough with the House Speaker. Let's uh, move on. Some other um, big news this week. First, for the first time in his presidency, Joe Biden is visiting the southern border in El Paso, in El Paso, Texas. On um, Sunday, yeah, it's pronounced El Paso. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I said El Paso. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, for the first time in his presidency, he's acknowledging that there. Well, he didn't use the word border crisis, um, but he's acknowledging that I- immigration is a pr- problem. Illegal immigration is a problem. He's going to visit the border in El Paso, Texas, on Sunday, and he also um, uh, it gave a speech uh, yesterday, Thursday. Um, where he promised more border security and, and, imp- and pushed for increased legal immigration. Tell us about this. Yeah, this has been you know one of the big stories of the week. On on Wednesday, Biden hinted at this. He told reporters that his intention was to uh, to visit the border when he was you know this is when he was boarding and deplaning um, Air Force One, which sent really a, a news flurry. A lot of Republicans were reacting quickly. The general Republican response was, oh, wow, it's you know too little, too late. And by the way, if you don't actually do anything substantive, uh, a border visit doesn't mean much. But they have been pressuring him. And, uh, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris, who was sort of in charge of the border, but then deflected that responsibility, which it, once it totally became a mess, um, I think she is thinking long term for a political future uh, and doesn't want to be blamed for every border crisis. I mean, that's like that'd be kind of like. Uh, a year ago, if Biden uh, asked you to be in charge, the inflations are, you know, it's like, there's not too much you can do about it. It's going to be bad for a couple of years. You're going to take the blame. Um, and he gets to kind of sidestep it. So I think, you know, it's a, it's this parallel, but he, uh, I think he maybe raised some hopes that maybe something would happen on the immigration front. Even a lot of moderate Democrats have really been wanting Biden to go down there because they're getting crushed on this immigration issue. Um, and, I mean, illegal immigration has absolutely soared since Biden took office. Part of that is because Biden's made some executive changes that have made it um, a more favorable cli- climate for migrants, illegal illegal immigrants um, included in that, where they, they're more likely to get in. They're less, much less likely to get deported um, when they're here. It's almost, you know, right. a very, very, very little chance. More get likely to be released um, in the U.S. with a court date. And we know the vast majority of those, th- th- them don't show up for that court date. So who knows where they are? Right. And even more importantly, um, ICE agents are really not pursuing them and like trying to track them down to deport them. And and I think the word's gotten out on that. Unless you have a criminal record, ICE is for the most part not knocking on your door um, to deport you under the Biden administration. That is a Biden administration change that is pretty substantive. Um, and it's gotten bad. I mean, El Paso, where Biden is visiting, has declared they declared a state of emergency in December. I mean, they are literally having thousands and thousands of migrants a week just pouring over their borders. Um, you see the pictures of these, these camps that are set up, tents on the street. Um, people are, of course, many of them are coming over having spent their last dime to giving it to a coyote uh, to to get them there. And so they're coming over. Many of them are destitute. Some are coming from really poor countries like Venezuela. 
which has been absolutely destroyed by, you know, socialism and there, some people are starving over there. So they barely make it across totally poor. And so, you know, I think people, you know, have compassion and sympathy on those who are fleeing places like Venezuela, but it creates a really big um, social safety net problem. It's like a, a safety issue and where people are going to sleep is a huge logistical challenge. And so these are all the things that are kind of swirling. Uh, also, you know, we've had some good reporting um, at the centersquare.com about all these Texas uh, counties have declared there's actually an invasion at the Southern border, right? That, that the numbers are so high at this point that they're, that they're saying they're being invaded, which may sound like a silly political ploy, but the number of migrants, you know, I think we had about 2 million um, getaways uh, last year, if, if that's right, or somewhere in that neighborhood. Well, we, we, we had um, more than 3 million, 3.2 million encounters, including gotaways. Gotaways is the term that uh, border yeah. agents use to call people who, who cross the border illegally between ports of entry uh, with the intention of evading capture. Um, and trying to get into the U.S. without U.S. officials knowing about it. So it's more than 3.2 million uh, encounters, including gotaways. Gotcha. Okay, I think maybe it was closer to 2 million the year before. So that's just in one year, right? So you compare that. I mean, the population of Houston, uh, which is the biggest city in Texas, is is like 2.3 million, I believe. Right. So you had more people come across the border and that's not just in Texas, but it's just perspective in one year than the whole population of Houston. Um, El Paso is about is around 700,000 people. And you're just having, you know, that's when you're having thousands of people come just that's the perspective. You know, a million may not sound like a lot. Three million may not. It's a big number. But, it, you know, when you think about the whole population of the U.S., you're like, well, you know, it's like a few percentage points, but they're not just in, they're not equally spread across the U.S. You know, they're not equally in uh, Michigan and, and New England, right? They're they're concentrated in a certain area and those border states are really feeling it. So Biden's going down there. He announced, he sparked I mean, really a lot of criticism and controversy because um, he said he did a couple of things that really I was surprised by. One, you know, I, I, watch, I um, watched his speech and one thing that he did, he he announced $23 million in additional humanitarian aid to Mexico and Central America. And he went at length, basically made the case that this humanitarian aid is going to make, I mean, I think it's going to sound like I'm simplifying it or trying to make him look bad, but I'm really being true to, to what he said, which is we need to improve these countries so that people don't want to leave and migrate to the U.S. And if we spend more money on humanitarian aid in Mexico, and Central America, the countries will be so nice that people won't want to leave and come here. That was his basic argument, which right. I think it was, was it was the number was twenty three million dollars, right. and that's of course American taxpayer um, dollars. One twenty, you know, to me and you, twenty three million dollars is a lot of money. But when you're talking about entire countries, right. twenty three million dollars is a pittance. And then, but yeah. also, how do we know how those countries are going to use that money? How do we know that the, that that money is going to get to the poorest, the neediest? Uh, residents and citizens right. of those countries. Well, we, we know it's not. I mean, we know it's not. The cartels are going to get their hands on some of that money, almost certainly. I mean, it, it's got to filter through a hundred co corrupt government officials, cartel sources. And by the way, it's just not very much money when you're talking about rebuilding whole countries. I mean, you can't even give everybody a snow cone in these countries for $23 million. I mean, it's, uh, and I think we've shown in recent history that nation building um, is really difficult. And we spent, you know, billion, you know, we've spent, 
a lot of money, billions of dollars overseas trying to nation build to, to very little effect. So um, that was one that was a little bit hard to swallow, I think, that that point. And then the other was he basically announced an expansion of legal migration. He wanted to expand legal pathways um, for for migrants to come here, which is already facing some legal challenges. Um, but I think, uh, you know, <laughs> the idea of, hey, illegal immigration is out of control. We've got us. We've got a. Uh, well, he didn't really say that, but the idea of the border is really needs to be a priority. I'm going to address this, and by the way, I'm going to increase um, immigration. I think uh, is not necessarily the message to have when we're at these rec- record record numbers. But we'll see how it plays out politically. I don't know. It's kind of a. It's a very risky thing to take on, but it's also risky to ignore when the problem is so bad. Well, and and it, as a matter of fact. It, in response to uh, President Biden's speech on immigration and announcing that he's going to visit uh, El Paso on Sunday, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and other Texas officials, Texas, of course, is bearing the brunt of the border crisis, he blasted the president both both for saying he's going to visit the border finally on Sunday. Um, Abbott told the Center Square, our, our Texas correspondent, um, essentially, if this is just a photo op, don't even bother. Just stay in D.C. Um, but also um, um, criticism over everything you just talked about, increasing legal immigration into the country because there's you know so many people who are already in the country illegally um, uh, spending taxpayer dollars on these foreign countries. Um, uh, Bethany Blankley, our correspondent in Texas, got an interview with the governor of Texas yesterday, and he's he's not happy. Yeah, well, I mean, he's been demanding action on this for for years. Um, he's you know shipped um, illegal immigrants all around the country to you know Mar- you know all these uh, him and DeSantis, you know Martha's Vineyard and in DC, and he's been crying out Chicago for help. And really, and New York City and Philadelphia, he's he's been he's faced wide uh, wide criticism for that. The mayors of those those are all sanctuary cities, um, by the way. The mayors of mm. those um, cities have uh, declared states of emergencies. Uh, Mayor Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot yesterday just asked for something like forty more million dollars from the state to help her. Uh, deal with the uh, immigrants who have been bust um, there, but this has been going on, you know, in Texas for for more than two years, and the the thousand or couple thousand or so people that have been bust to these cities, that's nothing compared to what Texas is facing. Right, and really, this, yeah, the the, the explosion um, or surge has been happening for a couple of years, but this is really like a decades old problem. Even during like George W. Bush's administration, there was. You know, the lawmakers I've heard said there was really going to be an effort to address um, the border crisis. And then the kind of the war on terror took over precedent when when um, 9-11 happened and all that. But this is something that Republicans, especially border Republicans, have pr- try- been trying to get resolution on some kind of real um, uh, border security. I mean, na- nations all around the world secure their borders and pretty um I don't know, which is way better than we do. And and I think uh, you you can see that you saw how it propelled Trump to um, his victory in 2016. I think his fight for a border wall, although it was kind of mocked by many on the left, I think that a lot of um, Republicans in the base interpreted that as, hey, somebody who's finally serious enough to take to do something really dramatic on this issue, because just sending, a, you know, more agents and more drones or whatever it hasn't worked, you know, the, the all the um, the experts in D.C. will tell you that walls are stupid. 
and that you need to just have more high tech surveillance and drones and agents. Um, but I think the average person is like, Hey, aren't we already doing that? And it's not working. Uh, I know that if there was a wall in front of me right now, I wouldn't be able to climb it. So maybe we should do that. And it just, I think the wall is a symbol of the desperation on how nothing has worked on this. Um, and Trump was able to tap into that politically. So this has been going on for even longer, but you're right that since Biden took office, it's, it's surged even more. Uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about title 42, which is a, is a Trump era provision that allowed, you know, border um, agents to expel migrants more quickly in the name of preventing the spread of COVID-19. The Supreme court is going to um, hear, you know, uh, decide on that case in the next few months, whether that policy can stay in place or not. But, and, and Biden took a shot at that and he really attacked title 42 in his speech um, yesterday. So this, you know, we talk about this issue a lot, but it never, there's never really big answers. There's just big problems. Right. And um, I guess it's going to be another, uh, it's, the story is going to continue throughout 2023. Um, follow our coverage at the center square.com. Casey, we just have a, a couple minutes left time for one more story. The economy, um, a 40 year high inflation was another big story in 2022. It looks like uh, Americans at least think, it's going to be another big story uh, this year. Uh, uh, a new poll that you reported about this week shows that uh, Americans have significant concerns about uh, the economy and their financial well-being in 2023. Tell us about the poll. Yeah, that's right. We just looked at some year-end data um, as we were heading into 2023, of looking at uh, how did Americans feel about 2022 and how are they feeling about 2023. And regardless of some you know, slight improvements in inflation, some better, you know, better jobs numbers that we've seen lately. Americans are still really uh, pessimistic. Um, this poll found that 80% of those surveyed expect higher taxes, a higher deficit, and a worse economy in 2023. So um, those are issues we care about. And of course, Americans aren't, aren't um, optimistic. More than six in 10 think prices will rise at a high rate and the stock market will fall in the year ahead. So lower stock market, more inflation, higher deficit, higher taxes, and a worse economy um, overall. They also predict unemployment will increase, which is interesting because unemployment has actually been a bright spot um, in the Biden uh, the Biden economy. Uh, the latest job numbers, I believe, showed it went down to 3.5%, um, which is really the pre-pandemic level. So unemployment has a, has been a, um, a better part of this Biden economy, but overall, Americans I think I think they're just generally pessimistic about the economy, and, and they figure this unemployment um, will will go the way that most of the rest of the economy is going. In their right, mind. and of course, the stock market had a brutal 2022. Um, mm -hmm. If that continues throughout 2023, Casey, I'm never going to be able to retire. Um, so you're stuck with me for <laughs> a couple of decades. Well, my my big question is, um, when you're House Speaker, how are you going to tackle these challenges <laughs> facing the American people? <laughs> End with jokes, Casey. Mm. Well, that's that's all the time we have this week. Uh, thank you, Casey, for your insight. A reminder to our listeners, you can find all of the Center Squares podcasts at americastalking.com. Take a look. Please subscribe. There is no cost. This has been the America in Focus podcast for Casey Harper. I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>